ION 2020, episode 27. Have 2020 vision with ION 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey guys, this is Ray Eaton, your host of Eye on 2020, the place that you're going to find all of the information, all of the news, all of the things that are going on within the uh, 2020 election cycle. It's 2019, I know, I know, but you know, there's there's a lot of people that are starting to announce their candidacy now. Last weekend, you had Tulsi Gabbard that officially declared her candidacy. You've had Elizabeth Warren. She's had that exploratory committee. Joe Biden's dipping his toe in the water. Um, even William Weld, the Libertarian vice presidential nominee back in 2016. He's starting to make a few waves. I mean, that's things are starting to happen. So I wanted to get on top of these things for you right off the bat. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for you to do. Make sure that I'm reading all these news articles, that I'm you know, working my butt off to make sure that you have all of the information that you need to create the memes that you want to create, um, create the, the gifts that you want to create, all that stuff, right? And also you're going to be more informed when you're talking to your friends and your coworkers about these candidates. Who's taking what stances? Who is the most libertarian of the Democrats. I don't know that there's any of them, to be honest with you. Who's the most libertarian candidate? Is Donald Trump going to have the most libertarian-leaning me- message of all of the candidates out there? Is the libertarian candidate going to be the most libertarian candidate out there? The one that's running on the libertarian ticket? Who knows? I mean, the, the possibilities are endless, right? So, I on 2020, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for you to make sure that you have all that information every single day. I'm coming out Monday through Friday with a new show. Like I've said in the past, I might skip a day. I, I'm, I'm a human being. I go on vacation. I take a week off every so often. I mean, in, in uh, Jan- not in January, sorry, in April, I'll be going on a week-long cruise. And my plan, I'm not going on the Contra cruise. Shout out to, you know... Tom Woods and you know the the Contra Krugman show they're they they have their own cruise I I can't do that I have a family but we're going on a nice little cruise in April and uh so I might not have episodes for you that whole week I apologize that's going to be the week of east the week before Easter but I'll be putting out a show every single day every single day Monday through Friday so that you have all of the news coverage all, know all of the events, know all the things that are going on in this 2020 election. You're going to hear it here first on ION 2020, and I appreciate you coming out and listening. Hey guys, listen, if you can, I would love to see you uh, rate the show. Rate the show, give me a review, 
I prefer five stars, don't we all? That's just the way it is in the podcasting world. If you do great at five stars, I think it gives you better, you know, better coverage, I guess, on the Apple iTunes and the Apple Podcasts and all these, you know, Stitcher and so forth. On all these podcatchers, I think more people will be able to see the show and that would help me out to get more listeners. So that would be nice. But if you can give me a five-star review, that would be great. Also, while you get a second, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Click that button on your iTunes, you know, on your podcasts. Go ahead and look in there and say, all right, I'm going to subscribe to Ion 2020. You've already found me, so you might as well subscribe because this is a place where you're going to get all that great information on these candidates. I don't even, I, I look at them from a libertarian perspective, but you're going to get the honest truth out of me. That's the way I'm going to do it. I'm just a regular old guy speaking the truth out here, and uh, hopefully I can help you to be more informed, and that is my goal. Today, I'm going to talk about Donald Trump and his, uh, his campaign speech that he gave the other night, and that campaign speech, we'll call it the State of the Union, okay? Because that's what it was. Obviously, it's a campaign speech. He opens up with all the campaign rhetoric of how great the nation is and how things are so much better than they were two years ago when he got elected and all that stuff. I mean, that's what it was. He was he was crying out to his base of how great things are. But I think he made some valid points as well. You know, the economy, I, I think I remember... I don't know. It was a couple of years ago. I think I think it was right around the time that Donald Trump got into the office and the Dow Jones. You can't take the Dow Jones as a you know, as a barometer of what the economy is looking like, right? But that that's the way that a lot of people look at things. So, if he says the economy is doing good, look at the stock market, people tend to believe what he's saying. So, I but I remember back in it was Right around the time he got elected, I said something to the effect of, you know, if if in a couple of years the stock market's at 28000 and I kind of went through a few things that I thought the reason why the stock market might be going really high, you know, and I, I think I said 28000 around that, and I said the reason why I think that is the case is because there's been so much money that's been printed over the last several years but that money is sitting on the sideline, not printed like on a printing press, but the Federal Reserve was giving these banks so much money, but it had to sit in their reserves, right? So, and that the Federal Federal Reserve was paying these banks to keep all this money on the sidelines on a regular basis. So they were paying an increased interest rate to reward them to keep that money on the sidelines and not to loan it out, but just have it just sit there. So I said over time those banks are going to have to loan out that money it's just sitting there money just sitting there isn't in a, isn't a benefit to anybody especially if they get a higher return on it right and the banks would eventually do it so i said in that sense you're going to have you know these low interest bonds these low interest loans that these companies are going to start you know buying back stocks and so forth and that i didn't predict that that was already happening um but I also said that these companies are going to start growing at an increasing rate because of it. And what will happen is that it's going to inflate the economy. Infl- not inflate the economy, inflate the, 
the Dow Jones Industrial Average and inflate the S&P, inflate the NASDAQ, and so forth. And it did. I think the stock market went up to like 26, 27,000 or something, and then it came back down to 22,000. But as I'm talking now, it's like around 25,000 or so. That's where the Dow's at. And when you look at that, Donald Trump is clearly taking all the credit in the world. I mean, all he called, he was calling during when Obama was elected or when Obama was president, he was calling it just this huge bubble and everything else. And now he's taking credit for it, um, which is fine. He can do that. He can do all that, all that he wants. Right. But his campaign speech, which we'll call the, uh, the state of the union, he was claiming credit for all of these great things that are happening in America and blah, 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 blah. That, I mean, that's the very beginning of it, but he did get into some meat. He did get into some good, very good points. And that's what I wanted to address today is some of the good points. And then also some of the places where we, where I stray away from him as a libertarian and the things that he's, that he's talking about doing. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Just give some highlights of this campaign speech and go ahead and let you know from a libertarian's perspective what I thought about this campaign speech, the State of the Union, and, you know, where where are we going from here at that point, right? Where's, where is he going to take it? Because all he's going to be doing for the next two years is campaigning for president. I mean, he's been campaigning for, you know, the last two years, essentially. He'll do these little rallies here and there and stuff. He has the keep America great again hat going I think is the new motto for his his campaign I've even seen a few people that I know you know through work I go into their I go into their place of business and one of the guys has a Trump 2020 hat on already so I mean the campaign's going so let's uh, let me go ahead and right now I'm just going to dig right into this uh the campaign speech called the state of the union and let me let you know some of the things that I, you know, that I found in there. Okay, so the one thing that I really, the, the thing that stuck out, me, stuck out at me the most about this, and I just wanted to bring this up immediately on the podcast, is that he made a really, a really interesting point from the anti-war standpoint. And I was surprised that even a, a president would even say this, and I was really happy that he said this. He says, as a, can, as a candidate for president, I proudly pledged a new approach. Great nations do not fight endless wars. When I took office, ISIS controlled more than 20,000 square miles of Syria and Iraq just two years ago. Today, we have liberated virtually all of the territory from the grip of these bloodthirsty monsters. Now, as we work with our allies to destroy the remains of ISIS, it is time to give our brave warriors in Syria a warm welcome home. But listen to that. Great nations do not fight endless wars. Is that even being said by a president? It blew my mind, and I was proud that he said that. Um, What I heard someone comment on that particular issue in the past was that, or I think it was yesterday I heard someone commenting about it, and they said, great nations do not fight endless wars. That's something that's very bold for a president to say. It's taking a stand against the military-industrial complex in some ways. Now we've all wondered whether... I mean, I've wondered multiple times whether Trump is really serious about this or not. I hope that he is. I, I, I pray that he is. But he does have the entire 
military industrial complex against him. He has the entire, I mean, I mean, he has the entire Congress against him in some ways. And the Senate just voted against the, you know, the idea of pulling out of Syria. Now it was a non-binding resolution, but still he has, you know, multiple members of Congress or, you know, the vast majority of Congress that is against him on this idea. But for him to say that is really bold. And hopefully that's my hope. And that's what this commenter was saying is that maybe it's going to help to sway public opinion by him speaking out so boldly against endless wars. And I thought that was a really good place to start off uh, with this podcast in regards to the State of the Union address. Even though that's almost, you know, halfway through the entire State of the Union address, I just wanted to jump right over to that because I thought that that was, I, I applaud him for saying that he wants to get us out of these endless wars and that great nations don't fight endless wars. So I'll go ahead and continue on the anti-war stance as well, or the anti-foreign intervention stance as well, because that's someplace where I agree with him from the Middle East perspective, because he has been a little more interventionist or leaning interventionist on the Venezuela issue. Maybe that's to appease these warmongers that are trying to get him to stay in these wars. Maybe he's like, well... We uh, the negotiation is we'll get out of the Middle East because I promised that in the past, but then we'll just boost up this idea of Venezuela. Who knows? But he is making you know he has the right instincts on the Middle East. So let's go ahead and stick with that as well. He says, as we make progress in these negotiations, we will be able to reduce our troop presence and focus on counterterrorism. We will indeed focus on counter terror, er, and we will indeed focus on counterterrorism. We do not know whether we will achieve an agreement. But we do know that after decades of war, the hour has come to at least try for peace. And the other side would like to do the same thing. It's time. What blows my mind is that he wasn't getting like the huge applauses on these issues as well that he should have gotten. I mean, you should have had the entire Congress standing up when he's talking about saying the hour has come to at least try for peace. That, I mean, he there should be excitement about that so the new york times they put a little i guess a fact-checking thing and it says mr trump's proposed troop withdrawals from afghanistan and syria have ranked have rankled members of his own party just this week the republicans controlled senate passed a symbolic rebuke of this strategy so they just want to i mean even the new york times is putting that in there just to say yeah you know trump's just crazy it's not going to happen and i mean he's the commander-in-chief he can do it that's all he has to do is just say march on out and he will i remember ron paul used to say that we marched on in we could march right back out so that's what they need to do i mean it's it's just he just needs to have a backbone and stand strong on this right he says continuing a quote above all friends and foes alike must never doubt this nation's power in will to defend our people 18 years ago violent terrorists attacked the uss cole and last month american forces killed one of the leaders of that attack we are honored to be joined here by tom wiberly so then he starts doing the showboating thing again but he says that these friends and foes must never doubt this nation's power and will defend will to defend our people i guess that's true but he still takes that takes that approach of pull the troops back get them home we'll defend ourselves from our from our shores and i think he's right on this issue i've said this multiple times in the past you know that's true that's how i feel 
and I think that he's he's right on this. He has the right instincts on this issue. He just needs to have that backbone. So anyway, he says, My administration has acted def- decisively to confront the world's leading state sponsor of terror and radical regime in Iran. It is a radical regime. They do bad, bad things. So then he starts going off on Iran at that point. And I think that he's trying to change that focus over to Iran. That's a more popular pulled i mean that that issue has been pulled and americans have heard so many bad things about iran from the very beginning of the 1980s until now all of the americans fear iran for some reason and so that that's a political issue that he can win on i guess so he's going to try to put all that information back on iran that's mostly what he gets into about the anti-war idea um he's i mean it's like i said it's halfway through the speech but at least he brings it up I thought that was a really good thing. Um, but then, in the, so let's get back to the beginning of it then. He, he says, together we can break decades of political stalemate. We can bridge all divisions. We can bridge old divisions, heal old wounds, build new coalitions, forge new solutions, and unlock the extraordinary promise of America's future. The decision is ours to make. We must choose between greatness or gridlock, results or resistance, vision or vengeance, incredible progress or pointless destruction, Tonight I ask you to choose greatness. So here's my thoughts on that. He wants to bring these people together. So my my feeling on the government is this. It's the government versus the people. The government is going to have people with their own interests trying to get their own, you know, use the government's hammer to get their own interests across. So they're going to try to confiscate more and more of the people's freedom the government's going to try to confiscate more and more of the people's wealth and so forth that's just what governments do so in the real world it's the people against the the government i think the the founders kind of knew this right it's the people against the king it's the people against the crown it's the people against a totalitarian dictator things like that people know that but when it's the people against a democratic government then people feel like they're part of that government. But really, it is. It, it does come down to it's the people against the government, right? And when you have a divided government and there's gridlock in government, that is a positive thing. There's, it, it's an absolute positive thing that if there's a divided government, the less that gets done, the, the more security the people have because we don't have to worry about the government come and confiscate more of our wealth because they can't get anything done. That's a good thing for the people. It means freedom for the people. It means more freedom, and in, in you don't get or you don't get more freedom. I'm sorry, but you have the freedom that you already have, and you're not going to have the government taking more of your wealth. You're not going to have the government taking less of your wealth. You're just going to have that gridlocking government, which that's a predictable. It's predictable. Businesses thrive in a predictable environment, so it's a good thing to have that gridlock. When Donald Trump in the State of the Union is calling for, you know, that gridlock to go away, for us to come together and blah, 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 um, what would happen if we had one party government, right? Then, and we had a group of people that were all together in their views of taking over more of the people's wealth. What would happen if that was the case? Then the only, then the only um, defense that the people would have at that point is 
to get the government to fear them because the government will continue to try to take more and more of your freedom, take over more and more parts of the economy. And the, the, the only thing that the government will have is the fear of the people at that point. But when there's gridlock, at least they'll get a little bit done here and a little bit done there, but there's not going to be a lot that gets done. And I think that that is, um, it's scary when a, when a politician starts talking about bringing the people together and so forth, then that's all, that's what they want. You know, like they, they all talk about it and it doesn't really happen because the Democrats have their incentives and the Republicans have their incentives and there is no incentive for them to get along. And that's a good thing. But if they were all together and they were all, you know, in unison on certain, on mostly, on, you know, on every issue, let's say, and there was no gridlock, then you would have a government that's run amok with power. There would be very little um, check on that power, and it would not be good for the people. So, you know, that fear, that scares me. That That's the one thing in the very beginning where I was a little bit scared of Donald Trump in doing that. So I'm going to move on from that issue, though. There's a lot more in here as well, and I'm only going to cover a few more things because I don't want this show to go too long. But this was, I think it was like an hour and a half long speech. I mean, the guy went on forever. And I did my taxes during that time, actually. So um, I was just getting more and more pissed at how much money I pay in taxes during this during this speech. And all I was thinking is, you know, get the hell out of my life to excuse my language, it's supposed to be a children-friendly show, but get out of my life, government, you're taking more and more of my money, and, uh, but yeah, I, I kept a half an ear on it, and then I've just read this transcript a little bit as well, so let's, let me go ahead and move on to some other ideas, or some other things that we came up with as well, he talks about in the, you know, that we have 157 million people at work now, um, we've eliminated a very unpopular Obamacare individual mandate penalty. He did not actually get rid of Obamacare, but he did get rid of that that individual mandate penalty. That's fine. That's something I support. I support getting rid of it all. He did say he cut regulations like crazy, and um, supposedly he did. I know that that's something that he showboated one time, and that's good. The more regulations that we get rid of, the better. I'm, I support that as well. Um, and then he says, an, economy, an economic miracle is taking place in the United States. The only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, love it when he says that, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. I applaud him on that, that he says there can't be war and investigation. Like, he put that together very nicely. And I, you know, or his speechwriters did, I guess. And I think that, you know, it just proves that he is for pulling back from all these ridiculous wars, right? And that's a good thing. Does he get applause for that? I don't think he did. Got too much applause for it at that point as well. But, you know, he's boosting up his econ- the economy. And he says the only thing, he says we had 304,000 jobs created last month. Da 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 da. I love how politicians always say that they created these jobs. You know, no, it was business owners and businesses and um, individuals creating their own jobs and that's that so he says another point he says is now is the time for bipartisan action believe it or not we have already proven that's possible that scares me bipartisan action means more freedoms taken away from the people i mean they're always trying to legislate and when legislation happens there they are creating more 
you know, regulations on you and so forth. But I mean, if they were saying, yeah, let's get some bipartisan, bipartisan action in order to deregulate, in order to get rid of more of our government, I'm all for that. So, so anyway, he moves on and he's, um, he says, now Republicans and Democrats must join forces again to confront an urgent crisis. Congress has 10 days left to pass a bill that will fund our government, protect our homeland, and secure our very dangerous southern border. And then he goes on and talks about illegal and illegal immigration and so forth. Um, I sway from, I, I don't think that the government needs to build a wall. I think that it's a political issue. Um, if they want to secure the borders in some ways, I mean, I, I think that as a sovereign nation, that's fine from a libertarian perspective. I think that the free flow of labor should be very easy for these people to get, get into the country so that they can come work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the government has the right, the federal government has the, has the right to secure the border in the sense of not allowing people to invade the country, right? So there should be that ability, but I mean, I've always said that, you know, the, it's, it's a labor issue. People want to come work in America, they should be able to come work in America, make it very easy, and then you won't have people sneaking across the border. So if, if there was just a lineup and said, hey man, I'm going to move, I'm going to come to America, and you can just walk up and say, yeah, I'm going to go work for Jim Smith over here. He already told me I'd get the job. I came in a couple days ago, you know, just with my passport. And I came in and I, you know, Jim Smith said he'd hire me. Here's a statement from Jim Smith that says he'll let me work for him. And now I'm going to come in, I'm going to pay tax and everything else. Make it that easy for someone to come work here. And you would not have a need to, you know, for this, for, for people coming across the border, right, illegally. There would be no need... And then you'd have the ability for these people to watch if there's drugs coming across and, or, you know, sex slaves coming across and things like that. So, but he goes on with the border issue. That's going to, you know, God, in, in 10 days from that time, you're going to have another government shutdown. That's just the way it's going to be. And then there's going to be a little polit another political football. Um, so see who can get rid of that football and, and spin it the way that will make the American people think that they did the right thing for the people. So after going on and on and on and on and on about the border wall and so forth, he jumps into, um, he says, we, quote, we are now making it clear to China that after years of targeting our industries and stealing our intellectual property, the theft of American jobs and wealth has come to an end. Therefore, we recently imposed tariffs on $250 billion of Chinese goods, and now our treasury is receiving billions and billions of dollars. Wow, that's great. So he taxed the American people by imposing, making it more expensive for us to buy foreign goods, and those taxes are going into the uh, treasury. That's, that's exciting, and I think it's wrong, and you guys know that I think that's wrong. That is not a libertarian stance on this issue. And I think it's wrong. He says, I don't blame China for taking advantage of us. I blame our leaders and representatives for allowing this travesty to happen. And then he says how great the um, everything is now with regards to trade. He fixed NAFTA and all these other things. And the, all these, sitting, these businesses in Michigan and Ohio are thriving and everything else. And I just, you know, he's showboating that all a tariff is is a tax on the people. And it's wrong, and it's hurt industries more than it's helped some of these industries as well. So, anyway, and then he gets into some more. He's talking about both parties should 
you know, unite to create or to great to build up our America's crumbling infrastructure. And he asked Congress to pass legislation on that. Uh, so, I mean, he what he's talking about is things that they could come together on. And obviously, everyone in Washington loves spending, right? They love it. So let's go build some more bridges and walls and, you know, everything else. And that's what he's talking about there. And then he talks about, together we can defeat AIDS in America. Yeah, so they could all come together with that. That's great. And then we're going to go ahead and... Um, Let's see, he says, over the past two years, I have begun to fully rebuild the United States military, so he brags on that as well, with $700 billion last year and $716 billion this year, um, so he's bragging on, you know, building up the military, which is fine, sort of-ish, but he needs to pull back the wars, and then we could really, you know, cut the cost of the military from $700 billion way down, hopefully. But I don't think that, that's not a that's not a political issue that he can run on, because everyone thinks the more money going to the military, just like Democrats think the more money going to schools is going to be better for the schools. That's not a conservative issue. I don't know why Republicans are so firm on never cutting any military spending, but that's just the way it is. So um, he says, here in the United States, this is interesting, here in the United States, we are alarmed by new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. That's wonderful. I think that's great that he's making a stand on that. And that is just a campaign speech, but that works for me. In some ways, we are born free. We will stay free. Eh, we're born free, sure. I mean born free if we're going to pay lots and lots of taxes and have all the the different coercion that we already have in our government across i mean and the coercion that we do across the world and so forth uh we're born free ish i guess um but yeah so he says that that's fine Moving on, he says, Our brave troops have now been fighting in the Middle East for almost 19 years in Afghanistan and Iraq. Nearly 7,000 American heroes have given their lives. More than 52,000 Americans have been badly wounded. We have spent more than several trillion, spent more than $7 trillion in the Middle East. As a candidate for president, and then I read this in the beginning, I loudly pledge a new approach. Great nations do not fight endless wars. Love that statement. He gets through there, and I just think that's great. Um, and then... Let's let's go further down in in this you know in this speech as well because we're only halfway through and I didn't want to make this too long an episode but you know he talks about you know Congress passing a ban to abort uh, or to end late term abortion I avoid those issues I think that that was just a pan, this pandering to his base he needs to make sure that they're going to vote for him that he's that they know that he's anti-abortion and so forth. And then late-term abortion specifically, I mean, if there's any place where you can be against abortion, it's, you know, 38 weeks, the baby's popping its head out, and then the then they decide then whether to let the baby live or not. I mean, to me, that's sick that you would deliver a baby and then kill it. Uh, supposedly in Virginia, they recently passed a bill that says that that's the case, that you can do that. I don't think that... I can't imagine that that's what the bill says, to be honest with you. That's got to be over-dramatizing it a bit, because everyone takes either one side of the political argument or, or the other on the exact stream, extreme polar opposites, and they assume that nobody's in the middle. That bill cannot really be that, that case. But if, um, 
if that is the case, then yeah, I, if there's one place where the government might have a have a leg to stand on, it's it's banning those types of abortions. I guess I don't know. I mean, like I've always said, that's a really hard issue to um to talk about because it's such a divisive issue. And I'm not a woman, so I don't have to make those decisions, right? So, but anyway, that's that's the the meat, I guess, of his of his campaign speech called the State of the Union. And I just wanted to bring all that information to you as well. As soon as I had it, I, I was looking for the transcript and I found it and I went through it and I highlighted some you know key points that he made. And uh, he says, I'm asking you to, ch- the, the way that he closes, let's go ahead and go- say that really. He says, I'm asking you to choose greatness. No matter the trials we face, no matter the challenges to come, we must go forward together. We must keep America first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. We must always keep faith in America's destiny that one nation under God must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all the nations of the world. Thank you. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you very much, right? So, I mean, that's just, you know, typical fodder to throw out there at the end of a campaign speech. But that's it. That's his uh, that's his State of the Union address. I did like a few things. I did not like several other things. Uh, and most of it was based upon his policy and where he wants to go uh, from here. And he's trying to make a case that he is going to be the best person to lead the country from 2020 to 24, or 2024 as well. Um, you know, that's where he's at. So this is I on 2020. I am your host, Ray Eaton, and I appreciate you listening uh, tuning your ears in every day. Go ahead while you got a second. Uh, subscribe to the subscribe to the show on whatever podcatcher you're listening through, and I will be back here tomorrow as well to bring you some more clear vision on the 2020 elections. And uh, this is your place for it. Eye on 2020.